Listener Production. Hi, this is Paul McIntyre. Welcome to the MI3 Audio Edition. I've been a business journalist for 25 years covering the marketing, media, agency and tech sectors. In this series, we talk to industry leaders about the global and local developments that you need to be across this week. Well, you may have noticed a bit of action of late around the rise of the Chief Customer Officer. Coles and IAG are the most recent high-profile examples where Chief Customer Officers have been installed to replace departing CMOs or Chief Marketing Officers. The first blue chip I saw make a deal of the CCO gig was Virgin Airlines, maybe 10 years ago when it appointed Mark Hassel, who spent five years in the role before joining KPMG. There's been splattering since, but it seemed like CCOs might have just been an early flutter. Not so. They're back and with some punch, clearly. But what does a CCO do? Is it simply job title playtime? Or are these roles and remits different to what has been the traditional marketing or sales function? Are they the same as chief growth officers, chief revenue officers, or something else? Well, it seems like CCOs don't have a universal rule on this either. On the mics today, we have three of the species, one from a classic marketing background, another is ex-finance, and the other is from sales. There could be a potentially explosive pot of enterprise tension right before us, but alas, they're all quite friendly with each other, albeit with very different remits despite their common title. So let's dig in. Joining Stuart Tucker, a former Combank marketer, now Chief Customer Officer at Trading Marketplace High Pages, is Adele Coswello, an ex-West Farmers Divisional CFO, now Chief Customer Officer at MyCar. And yes, that's the old Kmart tyre and auto. And finally, Mark Powell, a former Lion and Coca-Cola Amatil sales boss, who is now Chief Customer Officer at the listed billion-dollar Ingham's Group. Welcome to you all, Chief Customer Officers. Looking forward to this one to try and work out what you do. Stuart Tucker, um, let's start with you. You're from a classic marketing background with a CCO title. What does your remit cover? Is it that different to a marketing role and what you have done, I guess, for most of your career, Stuart? Inform us of your current gig. What do you do? That's a good question. I'd be happy to, Paul. Um, you're right about my marketing experience being fairly classical, but I guess in previous roles I've had responsibility for things like business development, customer service and product. So it wasn't too hard to segue into the customer officer role at High Pages. But in that role, my remit includes marketing, sales, uh, service and, and also partnerships. So I have a senior leader in each of those teams running those functions. And I guess my role is to bring that together for the best outcomes for High Pages customers and also for the business. And I guess it's a recognition that particularly in Digital businesses like ours, customers seamlessly flow between channels. And if you use an example of us um, acquiring and activating and onboarding a new trading customer, they might touch seven or eight different parts of my team from brand to PR to trading acquisition, new business sales, onboarding in-app via marketing comms. Then they would be handed over to our trading success team for an onboarding call, our service team if they got queries, and then we work with them over time. So... That's a good example of the way different parts of my team can come together for a better customer experience. Have you worked with a chief customer officer yourself before? No, I haven't. I haven't. This is is my first experience either with or, or in a role like this. And so the argument historically is for marketing is that it's been the champion of the customer. And how do you see then that delineation between what a CMO does and what a CCO does when supposedly you're both about the customer, I guess? 
Well, I guess the example I gave before is that customers are touching different parts of the business and, and in some days, multiple parts of the business on any one day. So marketing plays a role in that, but it recognises that different elements impact the customer experience and it's not only owned by marketing. In fact, you know, in, in great organisations, everyone feels like they own the customer in some way or another. Um, but I really, it's my role to make sure that's all coming together for better outcomes. I know you talked about how you'd done a little bit of the diverse activity uh, in a customer role. Has it been that radically different when you started? High Pages, you've been there, what, three, four years? Oh, it's nearly six years, Paul. Six years, wow. Yeah, okay. I know. No, it is different because marketing, I've got to make sure that I just don't get pulled into just focusing on marketing. Um, I have a large sales team and also customer service. It's split between Sydney and Manila. And, um, you know, it's my my responsibility to, to leave the marketing to Nick Ellery, who you've met, our VP of marketing, and just help and guide him. But then how do I stitch that together with the other senior leaders in the parts of my team to drive revenue and also drive better customer outcomes? Adele Coswello financed a customer. That's certainly uh, a little unconventional. I guess the first question for me is, what was it that got you interested in leaving the ledger to go and chase customers? Why, Adele? So, I mean, I did spend most of my finance career working for retailers. So, obviously, I mean, that just kind of clearly results in a passion for customers. But to be honest, and Stu and I actually talk about this often, I haven't, I don't think any of us have actually left finance behind and you can't. In the CCO role, you have to understand the financial impact of the decisions you're making to the bottom line. The rationale for my car appointing a CCO, what was that about and what does your remit? A bit like Stuart, what what is your remit? Yeah, sure. So the logic behind the CCO appointment at my car was driven by us recognising that if we're going to market and we're telling the market that we put people first, then we needed representation at the C-suite table that's obsessed by the customer. So as a result, my remit covers all of the customer touch points, not dissimilar to Stu's, but mine in a retailer look at merchandise, marketing, online, our mobile business development, our program office, so all of the projects that are, are, you know, in trance and customer care, which also includes our outsourced contact centre. How did you, I guess, build some capability about being across all those diverse operations because you didn't have it before, I'm imagining? So under the CFO role for Kmart Tyrone Auto Service, I did have all of these functions reporting through to me, but not dissimilar to Stu's point just before. It's really around bringing experienced team members into each of those roles. And that's what kind of the challenge was for me, certainly in the rebrand, was looking at, okay, who was in the role? Where are we going? So therefore, we need some really experienced talent in these roles to be able to go through a rebrand. I mean, it was a huge undertaking. Mm, oh, well, you started from scratch, didn't you? How, how long ago? Gosh, four years. Right, right. And out of all those areas that you have responsibility for, Adele, what's been the most either challenging or complex to understand? You could say marketing. Yeah, I mean, and, and you probably, and that is true. And I mean, I have a head of marketing who's very patient with me. And as we've probably done some marketing 101 together, <laughs> um, but once once you learn the funnel, it's it's all easy from there. And if you've got some money to spend, it's even better. 
<laughs> See how um, easy it sounds? I know. <laughs> That's so gonna, nasty, I know. <laughs> no, I'm going to become a chief customer. It sounds like I could do it. I doubt it. Mark, now you've only just had marketing come under your remit in, in recent months, I think. Some marketers will no doubt be horrified by that, having uh, to report to uh, what's you know a salesperson, crikey. But what does a chief customer officer do at Ingham's? How different is it to say a chief sales officer role, which or a sales director, which you've obviously your, your, a lot of your career has been in that? Tell us about why and what you're doing there, and how you're finding marketing as a sales guy. <laughs> I think is it, you're is right. Some revenge. <laughs> the, you know, the true marketeers out there will be horrified, won't they? And I've spent my whole career telling them how to do their job and now I have to do it. So <laughs> yes, um, right. this is going to be very, very cons- – I think they'll be watching very keenly to see how it all goes. So, um, yeah, so it's, it's spot on. When I first joined Ingers a couple of years ago, um, came in as the chief customer officer, and I think Stu mentioned it before as well, it's that that role is is still forming within Australia and its roles and responsibilities under there too. And I, I don't think when I first came in, Although the title was there, it was it was more very much around sales. So wrapping marketing under it now, I think, is is absolutely the, the right thing to to do. It it will change with with, with the, the remit. Like my remit before was was very much around sort of um, the customer. Um, now we've sort of got to bring in that focus around our our brand. Lucky enough, we've just done a refresh as well, and <laughs> we've done new brand architecture and all those things. So timings timings everything. So it's not a bad time to come in and take it over. Um, and then also just around um, NPD um, coming in. Um, but, you know, look, I, I've always thought any organisation that works really well in the FMC space that I'm in has always, you've got to make sure that that sales and marketing function are working well together. And I think having it under one umbrella, um, I think that will certainly help things going forward. Can we just define how you define customer, Mark, because it's your business is a little bit different to Adele's and Stewart's because of the nature of uh, your trade customers. So is it the supermarkets, for instance, or is it the consumer? Yeah, you're spot on. It, it's sort of both now. So my focus would have mainly been just around the customers being the retail customers out there, you know, biggest customers we've got are Maccas, KFC um, and the supermarkets as well. Now this CCO has to bring in, one, we've got to elevate the customer within our business and I think a lot of lot of, customers, a lot of business have to do that, but also elevate the consumer and be a bit more consumer-led as well. But in actual fact, our brand hierarchy and the master brand sort of covers consumer, customer, employee. We've got like 7,000, 7,500 um, workers here at, at Ingham as well. And um, so that master brand, the Ingham's name, um, the Ingham's brand has to resonate with them as well, um, as it does with investors out in the marketplace. So it's sort of like a, it's a four-way sort of approach that we've, that, that we've got there. So it's not just the customer we're selling to and the payers for the goods. The customer for you, trade customers versus consumer, it's bigger in the trade, isn't it? Your, your Maccas, Woolies, KFC, a side of the business is bigger than your consumer branded Ingham's. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we're we're very much. Although the Ingham's brand has been around like a hundred years and all the rest of it, um, what's actually sold under the Ingham's brand within our business is only around sort of ten percent. Um, most of what we do is is basically sold under our customer brands, whether it's KFC, whether it's McDonald's, Woolies, their brands, Macro, those sort of things. So um, in some respects, it's a bit of a um, commodity play. The the focus that we have within the business, and again. 
this is what I've got to bring to it is it's actually got to get the business to focus on those brands, the McDonald's brands, the KFC brands, the, the Woolworths brands as well. And you sort of got to treat them as your own and think, right, what are all the opportunities? And because that all comes out through all the NPD we do as well. So although it's brand neutral, it's like there's still the same thinking that's got to go behind it for um, consumer trends and, you know, demand spaces and all that. This is the bit, I guess, is, you know, would you not be doing that if you were chief sales officer or sales director anyway, or is the chief customer officer actually have what you're doing now would be different if you were just in a sales role? It would be different, yeah, if I was just in a sales role. So um, although, as you, as I said before, you've got to sort of link in before them, but, you know, the, the brand strategy and all that would normally be done by our CMO. Um, you know, the, the platforms we want to innovate off, that would normally be done there. Um, we would be part of it, of course, because I always look at it as sales really executes it all. Um, the marketing team really put the strategy together and the plan and the framework to basically to roll that out. And I think that's what, um, you know, that's what's sort of helped me over the years is making sure we understand each other's roles and how we can, you know, combined um, we'll, 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 some of the parts will be better. There's typically plenty of tension, right, between sales and marketing. Sales are in the now doing the deals, immediate revenues. You could call it capturing current demand, as some do, and marketing can be seen as a, l- a little bit more abstract and let's call that sort of priming future demand. Um, have you had many street fights by any chance with marketing, Mark Pell? Many, many, many over the years, and uh, yes. It's What's like, your best one? Or give us I've your best. <laughs> oh, we've had some ones where we've had to kill brands that are just going absolutely nowhere, um, and trying to convince someone that's created a brand that um, it's just not resonating with absolutely anyone. A great test we always used to do in the beer business was when we do a launch of a new product, and would have all of the you know the four hundred whatever it was salespeople that all came in for the big launch, and if you looked around the room, and if it was all half empty bottles you knew it was going to be a shit product. <laughs> right. So so on that though, what would be your the biggest point of tension between historically within your career between sales and marketing? Where was the turf war? I would I always used to say this. Everyone in sales reckons they're marketeers and they've got an opinion about absolutely everything. And if they're looking at it, they'll judge it and they'll go, this is a shit campaign or this is not going to cut through or the customers are not on board with this. And that creates all the friction there. And I think what, what worked really well was when the sales and the marketing team would be developing it together, but often taking it and bringing the customer along on board with as well. And I'm talking that with the retailer and all the rest of it, because as you know, you've got above the line, below the line, you've got to get all that done through your customer as well um, and all the different touch points. So I thought when you when we did it together and we all got on board and there was a little bit of input and buy-in, it, it worked quite well. When if it was just put in isolation, you know, simple things like where if, when a, this business and the other businesses have been a part of like Coca-Cola as well, they've been scale players and we've tried to get into niche products and niche brands and it's like you're not playing to our strengths. So that, that caused a lot of friction. We, we, we'd put a huge amount of effort behind something that was really tiny that was going nowhere. And also you just got to know when to kill stuff as well. Um, and I think that's that really, really helps when you sort of go, here's the metrics we're after, give it a bit of time. Often you don't have enough patience for it, but give it a bit of time. If it's not working, kill and let's move on, you know, and let's be agnostic about it. Have you ever been uh, shown up or proven to need to acquiesce on anything by, from marketing uh, or is, have you always been right, Mark? <laughs> always been right. 
Always. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> no, I know. Adele, it's a similar thing for you, I'd imagine. Finance and marketing are not, not always happy bedfellows. I, well, I certainly hear the lament from marketers about finance uh, on that front anyway, certainly usually around budgets, funnily enough. You've got marketing reporting to you and you've got to spend money. How do your conversations go now as CCO with the marketing budget with your old former finance colleagues? Is it war and peace, love and... I don't know. I haven't got another metaphor. Sorry. (laughs) I feel like it is a little more peaceful. I mean, at my car, we're still in the brand building phase. And fortunately, as a result of that, we've been on the journey together. So the finance team have been this through with us. They get it. And we've learned that, you know, we need to, what we need to spend in marketing, especially against our competitors. So there is that awareness already. Different to most of our competitors, though, we're in two categories. So we're in tyres and car servicing. And what is brilliant is that when we spend in above the line, we re- we see results. So we see more customers in store coming, hitting through, you know, through search onto our online platform. And we also see brand awareness increase. Are you surprised by that when you've got the responsibility for it? Up, up goes a campaign. Oh, actually, people are coming through. There's always this sort of suggestion that marketing is a little bit fuzzy, a little bit light on things. But when you see some numbers, you go, oh, that stuff actually works. Were you surprised by that at any point? Or have you seen it long enough to know? Now I get it, but certainly at the beginning, I think everyone um, and certainly this group here would have known that there's always a request for an ROI. But even more than that, it was, well, if we're going to spend that in marketing, then I want to see the sales in the top line. And that was hard. That was really hard to quantify. But you see the beauty in marketing when you have a promo out, you're on TV, you're on radio, your search is going well, you're hitting the keywords. It all once that is all working, then absolutely you start to see, like I said, brand increase. You know, more customers hitting us in every channel possible. It's interesting that you essentially, well, all of you probably really are gatekeepers for the operations you have. So I'm interested at all when you've got marketing coming at you for sub budget to drive demand. Uh, you've got merchandising there. You've got customer care. You've got retail online. When they all come to you, how how do you divvy up? Which way you're going to lean and back proportionally over something else? Is there a rule that you or a template you you, you have in your mind at least? I think they all play a different role. And so in that position, it requires a certain amount of funding. And I think now that we've had the history behind us to educate us, it gives us that we can identify then how much is needed. And I guess for merch, they're really concentrating on the best margin. Marketing, obviously, you know, it's a spend. Customer care, well, how many complaints have we got? What's that going to cost us? And a lot Mm. of it in retail is simply just a percent to sales. So how much are we willing to give up for nearly every cost? Because in addition to that, we've got team members that are all permanent team members. That's a huge cost to our business and rent, which is another huge cost. Mm. It does get us, um, Stuart Tucker, to in and around this revenue accountability. Who owns it? Who owns it in at high pages? And yeah, is it you? Uh, yeah, Paul, I'm definitely on the hook for revenue. There's no question about that. Every member of the SLT is targeted on revenue and EBITDA, but because I have the sales team, um, which really drives revenue through from acquisition to customer development to growth and retention, then it's on me. Uh, there's other elements to the overall customer experience that other members of the team, the broader team input, like our customer experience through our product offering. But at the, the bottom line is when it sits with sales, that's where the accountability um, starts and stops. So 
yep, it's revenue all the way for me. Same question in reverse to what I've asked uh, Mark and, and Adele. Certainly for you in sales, have you got a different appreciation or perspective on sales and some of those other functions in the business now that you have them and you can see a holistic picture? Does anything change in how you view? Absolutely. I think sometimes marketers are very guilty of being removed from the customer and in a, in a smallish organisation like Highpages, like I, I sit amongst the sales and, and service team every day. It, it's like sitting in Town Hall Station when they're on and when it's buzzing, it's noisy and I love it. But I'm also hearing them interact with customers all day, every day, which is great for someone in, in my role. And I think more marketers need to be closer to the customer in that regard. And I, I love our sales guys. They're the, they're the hardest working, most down-to-earth team of people I've ever worked with. And... Um, and I love it. It's brilliant. Have you made any changes to how you allocate or how you view functions beyond sales and marketing as well, Stu? Yeah, I mean, it's a good question. We don't really have the tension about grappling for resources necessarily, but everybody has really clear goals. We, we use OKRs as a goal-setting methodology and whether it's operating within your functional role or whether you're part of a cross-functional team, Everyone knows the metrics that they're accountable for and really how that ladders up. And the ultimate question is whether we can acquire and retain and develop a customer. And that's, that's when the revenue flows. So there's all these multiple touch points. A lot of them sit within my team, but everyone knows the role they play in, in, in retaining customers. So revenue accountability uh, for you, Adele, who owns it? Is it you? Yeah, I mean, similar to Stu, SLT, absolutely revenue EBIT are our targets. But I think in retail, it's also a little different because merchandise plays a large role in revenue generation. So we have to have the right products at the right price for our customers. And I guess at my car, we're not a traditional retailer. We provide a service and so we need qualified technicians to, to service vehicles. So therefore, we're heavily relying on operations. Make sure we keep our team, make sure we keep them happy, make sure we keep them busy. But ultimately, and certainly as I've seen through a rebrand, we need marketing to build that brand awareness. So the customers will consider us when they need new tires or their car serviced. I spoke about my remit and in, in addition to those functions that I've just mentioned also have business development. So when we think about BD, that's more partnering with bigger businesses that can bring customers to us as well. And so we're growing market share, maybe not through traditional brick and mortar, but other ways of meeting those customers and not just that pure retail play. Can you talk about some of those partnerships you've done as the CCO? Well, they're still very much in their early stages, but right. there's, I think, I think what's really been pleasing for me though is when we've met with those partners, there's been an appetite and they can see that this people first brand in particular really aligns with their values too. So I think it's just making sure our systems are ready and we can kind of plug in and play and, 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 you know, and get this working. We already have a fleet, um, which, is sort of 10% of our revenue generation. Um, and But that's dealing with really big fleet customers. This is looking at, you know, those customers that today own a car, but how can we talk to them through other, through other streams, i.e. insurance? Got it. Right. I think I'll know your answer, Mark. Um, who has revenue uh, accountability in your business? 
It's I'm certainly looking at me. It, I guess. Yes. <laughs> You're looking at it. Yes, indeed. Yes, now we've always had that, and it's measured on a weekly basis, and uh, it's um, yeah, no, tracked uh, very, very, very hard. So that that's in there. Um, the marketing team again still have been, um, especially on our branded products, and when we've done activity on branded products and, um, and new NPD and all the rest of it, um, they're all. Um, they're all measured on the performance of those things as well. So um, there is a bit of duplicate responsibilities um, within there, but ultimately it absolutely sits with the with myself. And so just on that, so that's the revenue accountability bit, but as Chief Customer Officer now, you've also got to be thinking about uh, sort of where the revenue contribution comes from and attribution. So in the case of marketing, that'd probably be making a fairly solid case that there are significant contributor revenues how do you how do you kind of break that down now that um you've got sales and marketing it's a really interesting one too especially in this business which is basically an agricultural business farming that comes out of farming as well and we have a thing here which is called um, so obviously we want we want to meet demand that's out there but we also have to shape what we're doing and shape the demand to meet what we're what we can supply, and so it it, it is a little bit unique because you're actually you're actually trying to create some demand yourself that suits what your what you can do from a primary production point of view. So that I imagine is sort of making sure that you're using every part of the bird. We have this unique thing called the balancing of the bird. And uh, before I got here, the I had no idea. Of the bird. I love it. The balancing of the bird. <laughs> it's a, and it, it takes a lot of time. It's a lot of effort. But it's like. Just out of interest, is it a bit like Stuart's sort of, I don't know, training on the tools or something? Is that sort of how it works? <laughs> well, it's, 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 it's unbelievable because it's, for a manufacturing business, it's quite unusual because you start with something whole and you break it apart and then you put it back together to go and sell it. So it's the opposite yeah, to yeah. normal manufacturing. And you want to make sure that, you know, you've, you've, you've been able to put all the bits that you've pulled apart into some sort of format that you can sell because um, you just can't, on a you know, low-margin business, you can't afford to have any sort of waste. So, yeah, there's a lot of, a lot of work put into balancing the bird. Just on that, does that mean that you are literally looking at certain channels, distribution channels or sales channels, that, okay, we can do something there? That's a tactical play that's got nothing to do with marketing right that's uh, that's nothing to do with marketing or is it yeah some of the marketing even we do around our master brands as well and and when we're looking at the who the stakeholders are whether it's investors or community and all the rest of it a lot of it is around like having the right welfare and quality and all of those other things as well that we want to get out there which brings more demand for poultry so there's a there's one of the things we are trying to do is actually keep the category it's in good growth. It's got good tailwinds that are coming through, ticks a lot of boxes and different things. And it's like, how do you keep that going, which actually keeps growing the marketplace for us, which allows us these opportunities to basically be able to expand and then meet the demand according to what we, you know, what you can see from things like we use demand spaces, for instance. Yeah, right. Well, you're getting quite sophisticated. <laughs> That's as far as it goes, okay? Don't mess with any detail <laughs> on it. That's right. <laughs> Stuart, can I ask you, if you weren't in the role as Chief Customer Officer at High Pages, who would be have, would those remits be split up in various functions? What would happen if you weren't there? 
I believe there's a role for the CCO in a brand like High Pages, but if, if that didn't exist, there would be a, a CMO who, who may or may not have a seat at the, at the executive table. Um, we, we, we run as an SLT, so my VP of marketing and VP of sales sit around the table next to me, and, that, and that's a great thing as well. But you'd probably have marketing and sales and, and service uh, would sit in there somewhere as well. And then, then partnerships we'd need to find a home for as well. So, so more silos. I can't really, imagine right? it working that well. I think we'd, I think we'd have fragmentation and, and tension if, if, if my role didn't exist. So that's probably the easiest way of answering it. You're a super silo smasher. Something like that. Adele, what would your function be? How would it be split up if you weren't there? Yeah, I think similarly to that, I mean, it would either be a CMO or historically I've seen in in other retailers, whether they're COOs and have, you know, quite a large remit or GM of marketing and merchandise. So generally you always kind of see marketing and merchandise together. But yeah, certainly it would kind of be divvied up, I, I suspect. Merchandise has been sort of the superheroes in retail. They've been untouchable for a long time. Um, how How does that uh, how's that relationship with what you're doing and do they understand a bit more about the broader business or they just kind of you leave them to their their world? Uh, they have to work so closely together and certainly whether that's, you know, from a merch perspective, of course, we've got to make sure that we've got the right stocking so when the customer comes in, you know, the tyres are there ready to go. We're not asking them to come back another day. But then from a brand side, the marketing team are making sure that, okay, we're out in and we're talking about those brands that customers are going to see when they come into store. It's certainly around promo period. They work hand in hand together. You know, it's kind of mm. the merchandise guys working through what the promo can be and then the marketing team then executing that out into market. So they have a really close relationship and have and have to. If uh, others in the world listening to this go, yeah, the CCO gig sounds interesting, what would be a good pathway to become a chief customer officer? Because it's very diversified here, right? Like, in fact, you'd have to say there is no sort of model. We've spoken about this in some of our CCO catch-ups, you know, when we think about continuity or what succession planning, what does Mm. that look like? I mean, for me in the retail play, it's just that pure obsession of customer. And I think, you know, like I said, sort of across every touch points. So I don't know. I mean, do your thoughts? I think that the fact that, Paula, we've got a a, a marketer, a chief financial officer and a sales director around the table here says there's any direction that it can go in. And in some respects, it's about leadership and to bring the the pieces together. And it's also about the ability to understand customer needs. So I think we've we've actually proven that there's not a clear pathway. Let's ask each of you about a breakdown. Like I'm fascinated by where you spend your time, whether it's in a day, a week, a month. Give us a sense of just where your focus is. And it might be about the timing and, and where the business is at at the moment, but maybe start with you, Adele. Like, how would you carve up your week? Who gets your attention? No, and I'm going to be really vague here, which is horrible. But for me, the role really requires that bigger picture thinking and being across how each of those functions interact to provide that best possible customer outcome. I mean, for me, it's it's really having that strategic mindset, challenging the current thinking, and as Judah said, really taking that leadership role and the lead in kind of all of that decision-making However, I would say that more of my time is most definitely spent 
where spend, dollar spend is higher, or as you just said, Paul, where there's a new initiative in play that kind of all hands on deck, let's get this thing moving. You have to be really flexible in this role. And I would just say there is no day is ever the same. So where are your biggest spend areas at the moment then, Adele? Yeah, I mean, certainly in marketing, absolutely. But that doesn't mean that kind of my days are just busy there. I mean, the same with online, we're going through a whole new transition there. So, you know, there's a lot of time spent in their program office. Like I said, just depending on what projects are happening, then we're in there. I mean, it's it's really kind of that counsel and guidance if it's individual. So if I think about BD, for example, it would be like, okay, what kind of deal are we going to do here? Who needs to be in the room to have these conversations? And then other areas, it's just making sure that the same messaging is being fed to everyone. And especially I think in the current environment, you know, back in the day, it was so easy. The marketing pod was right next to the merchandise pod. So conversations were happening. You could hear it. I could stand up and yell out at one of the others. But today we're either working from home or some of my functions are based in Melbourne. So those conversations just aren't free as they were before and you're not Mm. overhearing those conversations as easily as we historically have. True. And I get it. Mark, in terms of your time and remit, um, I guess you're fascinated and probably intrigued by marketing. You're spending a lot of time on your on brand architecture, I think. Is that right? <laughs> that was all done before I got here, lucky enough. So it was, ah, uh, right. that, that was, I'm just going to take a credit if it works out. So <laughs> yeah. uh, success Good. has many failures, doesn't it? Um, yeah. Like in terms of the time, one what I've always tried to do in, in, in my role is it's sort of divide my time between three ways and it never absolutely works out exactly like that. But I sort of put it in one bucket's marketplace, one bucket's workplace and one bucket's people. And, and that's simply, and that's what I'll try and do after, you know, the month end and whatever. I'll go like, how, how am I going? Where am I balanced? Sometimes you'd be out of balance with it all. Ideally, it's sort of like for me, it's about a third, a third, a third. It's certainly not that um, now and at the moment as well. So especially in this business as well, I'm spending a lot more time in the workplace part of it. So, and included in there is like thinking, what, what's our what's our strategy going forward? Um, the whole thing about that bird black balance. We're a whole, we're very much a supply driven business. You spend a lot of time. I spent more time working with the operations team, so much time spending with the operations team here. In my previous roles, I would have only caught up with them at the Christmas drinks. So it was like this was, yeah, they're absolute best buddies now. So a big chunk, probably sort of that 40, 45% now is in that sort of space. The marketplace, that's sort of either out there, you know, focusing on what our products are and, and customer relationships and working working with our customers. Ideally, here, um, We've quite consolidated customers, so that would probably only be about sort of 20%. Our, our big three enterprise customers take up a big part of our, our business. And then the last part is just around that, the people part. So, um, and, you know, this was an old private company many years back, so they haven't done much around capability. They've done, you know, it was a command and control culture and all those things. So spend a fair bit of time in that space too and just development and also just retention now for people. It's, it's really hard to keep them and, you know, you've got to make sure you're really on your game there with the low unemployment. So I know it's probably a bit vague, but that's sort of how it done. But I've been super surprised at how much time I've had to spend 
in the business, on the business, in the supply chain part of it as well. Um, and I must say, looking forward to actually spending a bit more time thinking in the future and 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 what we can do. Because I think the biggest opportunities for us are, we call it the land of bland out there with retail poultry. There's a real opportunity to lift it and create some fantastic value. And we've got all our customers really wanting to do that. So Are you talking about product or brand there? Uh, product, product really, yeah, across the... It hasn't changed a great deal for, for, for quite a while. And, uh, you know, our biggest customer, Woolworths, they're quite excited about how do we actually really lift the, lift, lift the image and the value and, and go up the value chain as well. I'm busting space. to know what, I mean, so you're talking about rebalancing the bird. <laughs> no, this was just the land of bland. What we've got out there at the moment is pretty bland on offer. <laughs> But um, no, it, it, look, it, rebalancing the bird would be able to grow it with one leg, one wing and three yes. breasts and that would be perfect <laughs> for us. But um, that's, you know, unfortunately, we haven't worked out a way to do that yet. And I think yet. we'd be up on charges if we did so. Yeah, well, give yourself 20 years, you might be right. Um, so what about you, Stuart, um, in terms of the breakdown of, of your, you know, where you spend your time and energy? Yeah, um, it's a good question. I had to really stop and think about it. So I reckon that about 15 to 20% of my time is spent on broader company leadership. So strategy budgets with the board, reviewing performance and even looking at resource allocation. I think about 20% of my time spent on strategic projects. So we run these cross-functional teams and I sponsor several of those. And and I, I spend a lot of time with those teams and, and looking at outcomes. And then the balance, so around 60%, is pretty evenly split amongst the four functional areas that, that I lead. Um, it's a pretty even weighting, but the weighting can just vary from week to week. Um, in a couple, For example, in a couple of weeks, we've got a sales kickoff event, um, and that'll probably take about 50% of my time for that week preparing and, and getting ready and, and being involved on the day. So as Adele said, no two days are the same. You got to be super flexible. There's you, this notion about being precious about context switching. Forget about it. You know, earlier today I was on a on an hour and a half call with one of our key partners with IKEA, talking about kitchen installations and planning. And then you stop that, and then you're going into marketing. And then I'm talking with customer service. So you got to be pretty agile. All three of you have a sort of good bird's eye helicopter view on the business. How much time do you spend with your team having them understand where they fit in? Because, you know, the great criticism of marketing, for example, Stuart, is that marketing communications, people think uh, the answer is marketing communications. What's the question? And the same would be said, you know, I've, I see it as similar in, you know, if you're in marketing technology or in customer experience and so forth. So I'm interested in how you find your people's understanding of where they fit in. Yeah, as I said before, everyone knows the role that they play and it's, there's not too much tension. If there is, sometimes there's a bit of tension between product and marketing, but I, I think sometimes a bit of tension is okay because it usually ends up being creating better outcomes. So, What is the tension? Uh, it's, you know, the idea of producing product experiences and then taking them, taking them to market. Um, and I guess, you know, traditionally one of the four P's in marketing was product, but in our, in our space we have a different product because we have to build it and create it and involves engineers and designers and, and all sorts of things. So there's a little bit of tension there, but everyone in the teams across all of my room, they know exactly the role that they play in, um, in, in generating. The end, the end result is more customers and more revenue, um, but they know the role they play, so it's okay. Adele? Yeah, I mean, I think for us too, as a, as a function, we 
call ourselves the CX champs. And so they kind of not similar to Stu, they know the role that they play. Early days, we created the CX journey and so went through these are you know, all of the trigger points for our customers from the moment they need to get their car serviced all the way to the time that they're recommending, whether that's through Google or telling a friend at a barbecue about a great My Car experience. So that was probably really helpful initially when we brought the CX Champs together because it was very clear on what the stages were and what we needed to do to improve in each of those stages. But I just think I'm really fortunate. The team's been together now for a really long time. So they're all, you know, they have really great working relationships together. There'll always be times that I guess someone's annoyed someone about something, but that's just work. Uh, Adele, for you, how is business? Would you see we're in an economic sort of contraction? Yeah, it is. It's really interesting. I mean, overarching for us, I would say results are pleasing and we're certainly experiencing growth and meeting new customers when we're on promo. So what that tells me is there's definitely customers out there looking for a good deal. But I think all of us, on this podcast can say that we've spent some time in a fair bit of traffic lately and there are loads of cars back on the road. So the more we see out there, the more of us at my car are fairly happy that they're going to have to come and visit us. Right, right. And so the fact you're in growth though, does that mean you're clearly taking share from somewhere? Look, I think there is a little bit of that. I think there's a play on just kind of the last couple of years, whether that's been uncertainty around what the My Car brand is. We've been in promos, promos that are working for customers. Um, but I think there will be people now who have got their, they keep holding onto their cars longer than they have before because it's a little harder now. I'm not going to spend that money on my car. Why would I? And therefore looking at alternatives. So maybe I've always gone to the dealer. Oh, I've heard about this My Car brand. They care about customers. They care about me. Oh, and they stamped my logbook. Didn't even know that could happen. You know what? I'm going to give those guys a go. And we are cheaper. So once they do that, and I think in this category, it's once you trust your mechanic, (laughs) you're likely to continue to go back. You are pretty rusted on, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah. Although I mentioned we're seeing new customers, retention is still really high. So we're still seeing those same customers come back. And, you know, I think I mentioned this too in the past that they'll follow. The, the store manager, they'll follow that mechanic. It doesn't matter where they move to <laughs> because they mm. trust them. Great points. Um, Mark, um, how's business for you? you, you I, I guess through COVID and coming out of it, you've had major supply issues, I think, or great demand <laughs> or great demand issues perhaps, whatever. <laughs> um, you're spot on. What we're seeing from, from our point of view is you're seeing a, a channel shift w- without a doubt. So, you know, that sort of out-of-home food service, QSR, quick service restaurant purchase and that, they're coming off um, a bit but retail's going up. And so a lot more people are back there. The big retailers are, are really onto it as well. They're really wanting to to basically get a better value offering and 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 all, all the rest of it, which we can give them on the different cuts. But the other one too is chicken, lucky enough, is an affordable protein. So if anyone's out there by, trying to buy red meat or pork, or it's bloody expensive. Um, and so we're sort of the benefactors of a bit of that as well, where people are sort of sliding down out of the red meat and red meat might just be the, the treat once a week and, and, and chicken's coming in. And look, we're already at really high you know, per caps, you know, it's nearly like 50 kilos in per annum. Do we eat more chicken in Australia than other parts of the world or are we on par? Of all the Western world, we're right up there. We're like one or two. So I always joke about it saying we basically eat our body weight in chicken in a year. 
chook kings and queens, you could say. And so what's the outlook for, do you think that trend line will continue for a while yet? Is that what you're forecasting in terms of one part coming off and maybe food service and grocery picking up? Do you see that picking up? Yeah, definitely for the next, I'd say, 12 to sort of 18 months, this trend will just continue to play out. So, you know, if you... Is it a like-for-like swap out? Well, yes, it, it, it is in terms of um, the, the, the kilos. Um, it, obviously, from a retailer point of view, if you're getting 60 bucks a kilo for one thing and $14 a kilo for another one, from a revenue point of view, it's not. Um, but but it is it is for us. So yeah. So the, the, I mean, they're, they're good tailwinds to have w- with, within this business. We're, we're expecting still reasonable growth for us going forward, probably above what the category growth's been in the last few. years. So what has been category growth in poultry? It's sort of around two and three percent. Right. Right. Okay. Stuart. So what about your business? How's it tracking now versus what it might have been? I don't know, 12, 18 months ago when it was you know different scene. So as a two-sided marketplace, it's really interesting for us. And in many respects, we're counter-cyclical here at High Pages. So if you think about our homeowner audience, they are obviously the cohort in Australia that's been the most impacted by interest rate rises. And there's evidence that they're tightening the belts. So it's harder for us to extract jobs from them. But on the other side, tradies who went through a boom in 2020 and 2021 when there was just a home improvements going crazy are now needing us more. So their their organic sources of business, their repeat business, their pipelines have dried up a little and they're turning to proven options to grow their business like high pages. So You've still got to have demand though, right? You, you can might Oh yeah, no, well there's there's still plenty of jobs being posted on the platform. There's no problem about that. But we've seen a substantial uptick in traders wanting to join our platform or return to our platform this calendar year. And it's, 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 a, it's a notable increase. One of my colleagues, uh, in the, knowing that we were doing this podcast, did a bit of a test of high pages and was actually, because we were hoping to maybe throw some hard stuff your way, but unfortunately the, the promise delivers and that he said that within 20 or 30 seconds of posting his job, he had tradies on his case. That is that just a sign of the times or is that how good the platform is? The platform's great, Paul. You should give it a go. I think I counted up, I've posted 14 jobs in the last 18 months on high pages and I've had success every time. So that's pretty good. But, you know, the, the tradies are hungry. The tradies are definitely hungry for work. The tradies are hungry for work. So anytime that a job gets posted, you know, we guarantee up to three, although we don't guarantee our promises up to three tradies connected. And in many instances, particularly in the most competitive categories, you will literally have three tradies contacting you within one minute of posting a job. So it's a pretty dynamic experience. Is the nature of the jobs changing as a result of the, the cycle we're in? Look, I, I think there's, there's definitely a push away from the really big renos and the big expensive renos, and, and, but people are, are doing what we would call a freshen up. And, of course, regular maintenance and repairs happens whether you like it or not. So if a pipe bursts or you've got a blocked toilet or there's an electrical problem, you've got to get it fixed. So don't have any choice. I do want to finish with the fact that there is a sort of an elite organisation uh, circling around chief customer officers and you're all part of it. What is this thing and can I join? <laughs> Look, Nick Love and I, who's the CCO at My Muscle Chef, ran into each other about a year ago and we were, we were lamenting how misunderstood our roles were. And uh, so we decided to get together a small collective. Mark and Adele have been part of that group. There's about seven or eight of us at the moment. We get together once a quarter. We talk about our challenges and our opportunities and uh, we'll look to expand that over time. But 
we're really enjoying the time we spend together at the moment. You'll take more of your colleagues into the fold. Yeah, yes. We're happy to expand. We probably don't want a group of 100, but, uh, you know, yes, it's not an exclusive club. Let's put it that way. Final question to Adele. How has that been helpful, just hearing other perspectives? Because, I mean, it's a, this is a great conversation, mainly because what we said at the top, it's really diverse. So what have you got out of that, those conversations and is there learnings that come out of it for, for you, Adele? Oh, absolutely. I think being with like-minded people just it's um, because you don't have that. (laughs) You don't have Mm. that in your organisation and not at that level. And I think what's great about this group is that we are all very transparent. So you can kind of bring any problem that you're facing. And I think what's great is there are loads of us that are facing this same problem. And so to be in a room full of people that are going through exactly what you're going through and to provide some advice has been great. I mean, I just think even some of the topics we cover you know, even when we caught up last week, it was really highlighted all around TikTok. My team was showing me a video the very next day. So I was giving advice off the back of that, you know, saying, no, 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 within the first three seconds, I need to see this, you know. <laughs> and <laughs> I if I hadn't, I wouldn't have had that. So, mm. yeah, it's um, it's been brilliant. It's, yeah, really, really, um, really worthwhile. Absolutely. One final question, Stuart. Do you think more companies will do this? Well, I think they should because there's benefit in in bringing the pieces together and and having somebody who's thinking about customer. It definitely helps bring that voice to the table, whereas a lot of businesses are not bringing the CMO to the executive table, which I think is is a big shame. So if that gets customer thinking around the board table or around the executive table, then great, more companies should be embracing it. Okay, Stuart Tucker, Adele Coswello, Mark Powell, great conversation. Thanks for joining. This MI3 audio edition was presented by Paul McIntyre. That's more. Producer Nick Slater. Music by Matt Dwyer. For more episodes, go to listener.com or download the Listener app and search MI3 audio edition to listen for free. Listener.